Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's my pleasure today to be here with Dr. Daraka Laramore Hall. I was covering him back in my early newspaper reporter days in Santa Barbara. And Daraka is a local kid who's very influential now in the local Democratic Party as well as the statewide Democratic Party. And he's also just a phenomenal, spectacular talker, debater orator. So hopefully we'll get a little bit of that today. Daraka, how are you? I'm good, though I feel like any answer to that question right now needs like an asterisk or a parenthetical. Like I'm good considering that it still feels like we're in the middle of the end of the world. <laughs> yeah, well, we're obviously in, in very, very turbulent times. And so one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show was to just sort of pick your brain and talk to you a little bit about what's going on locally, nationally, the state of politics. Maybe we can talk a little bit about the media. You and I have said, had some long conversations, back and forth text messages about this, you know, the state of local journalism and that sort of thing. And so I wanted to just uh, kind of talk to you. Let's start off with uh, the Santa Barbara County Democratic Party. I know this is an issue that you and I have talked about over the years, and I've done my fair share mm -hmm. of stories that sort of look at like, what is the party machine doing and, and how are they impacting local elections? And, you know, why do they try to clear the field and sort of set everything up and there doesn't it leave somebody else to come in and that narrative's kind of played out, but it, you know, it still pops up every election cycle. You for a long time were the chair of the party and, you know, now you're uh, working on statewide stuff, which we'll talk about, but can we talk a little bit about uh, the, the strength the state of the Santa Barbara County Democratic Party. We are entering a mayoral election uh, coming up and, and we're just coming off a big election. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the party and where it stands today. Sure. Well, that's great. And it's, it's nice to have an opportunity to just kind of talk uh, about this stuff in a little bit of a longer form and not, uh, not try to do it in sort of newspaper sound bites, yeah. which is the way that it, we generally talk about it and talk about parties. And one of the things that you and I have talked about, right, because you're an educator and you teach people about um, how to do journalism. And I'm, an, you know, off and on a professional educator, but kind of always, always trying to teach in one way or another about how politics works. And sometimes those things clash, right, because I'm very much want people to be able to pick up a newspaper and get real facts about how this, the system works and so forth. And, and honestly, like, you know, I think we all have to do a lot of thinking about how we got to the situation we're at right now as a country. And I think, you know, we can, we could talk about it. I think there are parts of, you know, the, the activist left um, or, or things that the activist left has have done that have, you know, not been helpful or even contributed to it. But I also think in journalism or the way that the media covers parties is as it ha has also helped get us to Trump um, it got us to Schwarzenegger. It got us to a lot of weird, weird things. And it comes down to this question. Like, are parties a legitimate part of the democratic process? Or are they like this alien outside force that tries to pervert it? And I strongly believe that parties are a legitimate and really vital part of how democracy actually works. Um, and, you know, that's a very widespread a uh, very uncontroversial opinion in, in political science or in political sociology. Um, and I'd say it's also like 
how pundits kind of assume politics is, but there's always this other narrative that like being partisan is bad organizations getting together and trying to influence politics as an organization. Mm, that must be suspect. And I think that's based on a really naive idea of how power works in society. This idea that there's just these people and they run for office and they're like, Hey, vote for me. Cause I'm cool. And then people are like, Hmm, is he cool? Is she cool? And then they go and vote and then policy happens. And, and we're all like, Oh, that's democracy. But in reality, right, there's organized forces around, you know, in a town, you know, how we're going to use land, real estate interests and farm interests and so forth. And like those interests have power in society, not just in money they give to politicians, but also in like deciding whether housing gets built or not. And so politicians actually have to make decisions based on groups of people and interests and so forth. And parties are a really important way that amateurs, regular citizens, and, and in California, residents can engage in that process meaningfully uh, and have influence over it other than being a politician themselves or just a voter. So the thing in, in a place like Santa Barbara or actually in California too, right, is that most people or the majority of people are Democrats. So there's competition for positions, you know, seats on city council or whatever, but also competition ideologically or over policy among Democrats. And so then you have to have a mechanism and a system for like sorting out those differences. Who, who gets to run for this position or wh where is the party going to be on affordable housing? And then the party has to make decisions. And so we have a system, we have a structure in which you know, everyone who's a registered Democrat gets to participate in lots of different ways um, that makes those decisions. But then you get, you know, it's just funny and ironic because then you get people, um, and I think this is the segue into like juicy stuff you want to talk about, about local politics, right? <laughs> but it's like, you get just these weird, these people making these arguments that a publicly elected group of people representing Democrats all over the county deciding who is the official Democrat in a race is not legitimate. That's a cabal. That's evil Duraka and his henchmen. But like an, a totally self-appointed network that's like a woman who bought a newspaper in Montecito and this person with wealth and this other person, like those that a network like that getting together and being like, this issue is going to be about, or this election is going to be about marijuana. And this is our candidate. Like that's a grassroots democratic ideal in the eyes of like Jerry Roberts or whatever. And I think that's just Fakakta. Like that's oligarchy. Like who gets to have the loudest voice is not democracy. And in fact, in a democracy, you have to, people have to come together and organize in ways that are like public and accountable. Anyway, that's a long rant. But the fact is that it's, it's just maddening to pick up a local newspaper or, and this is like getting everybody locally off the hook. Same thing happens state level, national level. And you see things like partisan and party activists talked about like their freaking cult, you know, leaders. And yet anybody who comes up and is like, I'm post-partisan and I just want to get things done. You know, people line up and are like, woo. And then, then we're surprised that, oh, it was like this, you know, action movie star that didn't know jack shit about politics. <laughs> 
So let me ask you a little bit about this idea that, you know, electeds who- elect- Sorry, I think we've got a delay there. Yeah, it's one of those uh, distance learning, virtual. I got two kids who are on Zoom, so that might happen. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we don't go all out entirely here. Uh, but <laughs> let, let me ask you sort of this, this concept though is, and I'm gonna simplify it, simplify it and boil it down. So everything you said makes sense that the right of you know elected people who represent the party, their ability to endorse and support a candidate to run. That makes sense. The question is, what about that candidate, that candidate who's not connected, who doesn't network, who is sort of strong, who for whatever reason doesn't find the right people within the Democratic Party organization, but is a good candidate. And then this is where people get upset is that you've got a good Democrat versus somebody who's been playing the party game for a while. And by game, I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I mean that they've been involved. They've been participating. They know the players. And then you've got somebody who just didn't know about that path and they have good ideas. What space is there for that candidate? Let's take Kristen Sneddon. Let's take Kristen Sneddon. Okay, okay. Okay. Let's take Kristen Sneddon. Okay. Let's take Kristen Sneddon. Kristen Sneddon said that she decided to run for city council like a bunch of gazillion months before she announced or whatever at a big meeting full of all of the most well-connected and powerful democratic women, which is a like a big you know plurality of democratic movers and shakers in, in Santa Barbara, like surrounded by people, then talked to a bunch of politicians who said, yeah, you'd be awesome. You should run. And then didn't do anything about that. And then even after we started the process was like, um, you know, started the endorsement process and everything. I, I, you know, decided not to avail herself of the, of the, uh, of the endorsement process. Second, you just said a bunch of things that are a bunch of assumptions, a good Democrat, good on the issues, et cetera. How the hell did we know that? Mm -hmm. When we didn't get a questionnaire, we don't have an interview with this person. All we know is she's a registered Democrat and she wants to run for office. And and the whole point of having a party is being a registered Democrat and wanting to run for office isn't enough to be supported by the Democratic Party. And and you keep or there's this mantra that goes on because there's like a candidate who doesn't get endorsed or a candidate who, you know, like um, what's his name? He ran for mayor. uh and Hal Conklin, right, mm-hmm. who like had been on the city council, was best friends with everybody, you know, with uh, Doss Williams and uh, Laura Caps, and is like the most connected dude in Santa Barbara, then was like, oh, the Democratic Party had these arcane rules and I couldn't figure it out. In fact, he was like, can you postpone your interview because I'm going to be on vacation or out of town or something when you're having it? And it's just like, come on, people, we're not in secret. We do the best that we can to make sure that anybody who wants to run for office knows that we are an endorsing organization. But for Christ's sake, we endorse and get involved in local city council races. If you'd like to be involved in city council, you could figure that out and you could figure that out when you have your epiphany that you want to get involved in politics surrounded by like professional and semi-professional political people. So I, I just don't sympathize with it because 
here's the thing. We always hear the same complaints from the, just the people who we don't endorse. Right. And oh. to, let's be real. Like you and I go back with the, on this, right? Yeah. Don't you remember when, don't you remember when somebody ran for city council, went through our endorsement process, we didn't endorse them. We endorsed somebody else for city council. And his argument was he was discriminated against because he was like a white male. And we were like all affirmative action and we're going to screw white men. Then you fast forward, same structure, same process. And now we're being, the thing is like, oh, like a certain class or certain kind of like middle-class white women aren't getting enough power or juice or endorsements. I'm sorry, but it's just like, what? And, <laughs> and, and this quest, this idea, the fact is that you're talking about, I, I just can't think of an example where somebody who really was a disconnect, disenfranchised person out there. Come on, Josh, this is a community where there's a whole part of the community, the Latino plurality of the community who face real systematic barriers to participation and power in this community. You have people living with disabilities that keep them from being very engaged in the community. You have people who work six jobs or whatever uh, of whatever racial background, um, you know, and of lots of ages because of the high cost of living in this town. And, and it's like, th those people are never the ones who are like, oh, the Democratic Party, you know, ignored my desire to run for office or whatever, right? It's always people that actually have really well-connected friends. So yeah, look, the fact is we make endorsements, we make them based on politics and policy and viability and a whole bunch of things. And you know, different outcomes happen in different elections. Um, we do the best that we can, but there's, it's not a, it, it's not a machine for Christ's sakes. People keep using that word. And it's like, as someone who lived in Chicago and studies political parties, like it's just nothing like a machine. Is, the, is there it's a bunch of volunteers with actually really, go ahead. Um, <laughs> is there, can you acknowledge any sort of, of uh, strategy in the sense of, oh, I know you want to run for this seat now, but you're not in line for this seat. So we want you to wait or run for this seat. And then eventually we're going to support you for this bigger seat. Can you acknowledge, I mean, the, does that situation happen? Um, I could throw out a Greg Hart situation. Um, yeah. You know, he's going to get the supervisor's seat one day if you don't do this uh, prior to that. I mean, does that sort of happen? And is there anything right or yeah. wrong about that process? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does kind of happen, mm -hmm. kind of the way that you're describing it. And, and this is good. I'm glad. Let's get into it because... Um, like this is the kind of thing that I, I like voters should know more about and understand more because when it gets distilled into like the comment section of a local blog or whatever, it's just like gets so mangled because yeah. like there's all these conspiracies and whatever. Okay. So here's the deal, right? Is like people in politics that are politicians and people outside of politics or whatever, they have ambitions and they want to, they're like, I want to be elected to city council or, you know, someday I want to be president of the United States. So I've got it all mapped out, you know, and there's like, different um, extremes on either side. Now, between you and me and everybody listening, uh, there is a kind of rule of thumb. And I think this is true, like in society, right? <laughs> in general, is like often the people that are the most, hey, me, I should do this. I've got ambitions are not the best. And the people that are you have to drag kicking and screaming into doing things are like really great. Um, 
and that's super gendered as we know like so much that women are much less likely to be like wake up one morning and be like i should be county supervisor i mean i don't know i haven't done any politics or anything but look at me i'm awesome like that's a way some women do it of course but that's way more of a dude move so okay so that's the reality so you've got people ambitious and they want to make plans and the party isn't in any position by the way to like tell anybody what to do at the end of the day they're going to file for whatever the hell office they want to or not or do this they each have to go out and fundraise a bunch they all have to work their asses off anyway so you know it's we don't get to dictate those things what we get to do or have to do is like navigate all of those ambitions in a way that allows the party once there's a field of candidates to you know endorse based on policy and politics so we could pretend that like those that nobody makes decisions about whether to run before we make endorsements and pretend that once our endorsement happens it's like a um it's like survivor and whoever we vote for stays and everybody else goes like we could pretend we have that kind of power in which case nobody in the party should be would be or should be part of any conversations like before the endorsement or something right i don't know we'd live we'd be like the 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 cardinals the college of cardinals and you'd you'd know we endorsed a a mayor candidate because you know white smoke came from the headquarters something like that but that's not reality like the reality is somebody's thinking of running they want to know who else is running they're maybe want to put a feeler out there and see this and that's life all of those things so if you're like the chair of the party you're in this weird situation because you don't want there on election day to be 82 democrats running for something that's bad for the party and it's like in our bylaws and in our charter of what we're supposed to do is like to avoid that situation at the same time you want to give the party board and the clubs and the party organization a chance to, you know, have a say and vet these candidates. You know, let's say there's two Democrats that want to run for county supervisor. And then on top of that, there's a whole bunch of groups and people that are not Democratic Party organizations that really matter. And you want to have a say too. feminist organizations, environmental groups, labor, of course. And so, and they all have different timetables. Some of them endorse like at the end of the election when it's all but decided you know others endorse really early okay so that that's the jungle of strategic reality so what used to happen uh, is that um and this was a tradition that was kind of started during the big supervisor wars of the 90s um the big fights for control over the county the board of supervisors where a coalition of, you know, like moderate Republicans who were environmentalist all the way to very lefty Democrats all worked together to make sure that Democrats were elected to the County Board of Supervisors. And when there was a decision about who was going to be the candidate, dude, this was the process. A group of people were invited to the Flax's house, to Dick and Mickey Flax's house. And these are people I love, right? I'm not, so I'm not talking shit on anybody, right? But they were invited there, and so they could all sit and hash it out and kind of decide who would be the candidate. So that was the, the kind of norm when I got involved in local party yeah. politics or local politics. Okay, I think I'd love the Flaxes, but I and and we 
ended up agreeing on this very much, both Dick and Mickey, that that's just like not like that's better than nothing <laughs> as a system yeah. instead of just the Wild West and everybody runs. But it's not good. Like who's not in the room? How do we hold accountable who is in the room? All of those things. And so over the years, I've really pushed to have these discussions happen in organizations by boards who are elected, you know, so, <clears throat> and then between representatives of boards. So instead of like, I know a guy and I know this person and that person's my friend, it's like the party chair could talk to the, the head of SEIU. If it was a school board race, the party chair could check in with the local teachers union, say, Hey, what are you thinking? Who's out there? All of that. So, so there's this informal time before an election where it's like candidate recruitment and the party doesn't really actually have a very formal candidate recruitment like program. And, and, and part of it is because this is also difficult, but the point is there's a time where people are like thinking of running, people are asking people to run. And there's now think it's good. There's multiple sources and hubs of where candidates come from. So somebody might be active with cause, you know, formerly Pueblo and become a candidate that way or active in a PTA group, right? Especially for ed politics. And then what the party chair does for months and months and months, it's just like go around and talk to people. Hey, who do you know about what's going on with this? Who's, who do you, who's thinking about running? And then obviously this is something that never used to happen, paying attention to the politics on the actual boards, because man, if you, this used to be like, who's your friend and I support you with nothing about how people were voting. So now it's like, okay, what are the fights that are happening in city hall? What are the fights that are happening in school boards? Like who's, who's backing up uh, the fight for uh, representation and, and, and social justice in our school system? Who's playing footsie with the, you know, the, the reactionaries, these, I mean, man, in ed policy on the school boards and in the community college board, right? Our politics are very obviously up for argument and debate. Anyway, point is we pay attention to what's going on. We have discussion ongoing as a party community about what's going on and are engaged in the policy fights. Then we start to talk about the candidates and, um, and yeah, there's, there is a, there are a lot of tendencies for, hey, let's just have a very small conversation among a small group of people. But at the fact, my, my experience is that the formal party actually draws all of that stuff out to the surface and makes it public and accessible. And that's a good thing. Yeah, I guess you could say, you know, too, you look at the Republican Party and what happens when you don't have an organized campaign to interview and vet candidates? You get Charles Cole, who, uh, you know, assembly seats, hugely important seat. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's sort of like Charles Cole, you know, maybe, you know, whatever, you can criticize him. I have to stay my journalism role here, but, you know, he's a young guy and doesn't really have a whole lot of experience can't be the best that the Republicans have to put up there, yeah. but yet he's the guy at the end of the day, who's doing it. And um, I guess you could say, well, do you want something like that? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> That's not sense... much better. Right. <laughs> right. And, and, and the thing, and that's why I, I ask, you know, when people are like, don't, doesn't, don't good candidates slip through. And, and I'm like, maybe, 
and and maybe good candidates have i mean i know my own opinion we've had endorsement questions where there's you know two candidates and i've been on the losing side or three candidates more likely uh and i'm on the, the losing side but the 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 thing is that the there's there's this inevitable set of things that have to happen to avoid splitting the vote and giving seats to Republicans. Um, so we've got to narrow the field. Second, we really do want to hold elected officials accountable to being good Democrats. And that means, you know, that we they go through our process and then they come back to us after they've been in office. And, and look, I, I got to say, the proudest I've ever been of political work that I've ever done has been just the last couple of years of watching the Democratic Party when I'm no longer chair. Uh, you know, I'm not saying I don't have a vote on it or people don't listen to me or I live in a, a cocoon, but I, you know, I, I'm not in on the day-to-day -day discussions and watching a new generation of leaders emerge, young people and older people who weren't leaders before like make these really sophisticated and I think very strategically sound decisions, like um, defending some incumbents very, very vigorously from attacks by other Democrats. And then in other cases, going after an incumbent who's been politically terrible. Mm -hmm. That's what I was trying to get to all along is like a rational set of decisions where it's not just we defend every Democrat because they happen to check the box and say they're a Democrat. It's the easiest fucking thing in the world to do in Santa Barbara, California. You know, how are you actually going to vote on, on, on important issues? So it, we're able to do that, distinguish between Democrats, but also be like, look, and, and probably you want to talk about the mayor's race. I think this is an example, but it's also like, just because you want to be in an elected office doesn't mean you get to waste everybody's time and money running against an incumbent Democrat who's doing a good job. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you got to prove that they're doing a bad job. Let's transition there. Uh, let's talk about the mayor's race coming up because, <laughs> you know, you've got uh, yeah. Kathy Murillo. She's a former journalist and uh, she made the transition to city council and then she got elected mayor. And uh, she had a really high profile, controversial, bad moment during the Black Lives Matter protest uh, that that where she mm -hmm. uh, she got into a, an altercation, a verbal altercation with the organizers. And uh, she did not come out looking very good in that situation. And uh, I don't know where you were that day. I was there. Uh, I was, you know, taking photos and writing a story. And it ballooned into a thing where Kathy Murillo didn't want to take a knee. Um, and then it sort of turned into this thing of where has she been? You know, we've organized for you. We've walked, knocked on doors for you. And, 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 and we still have all these problems and uh, you know, you're not doing your job. Um, and that was a big deal for her. And then the next subsequent city council meetings, you had a lot of people calling in and just trashing her publicly during public comment. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, that was that, brutal. That, that was, um, that was really interesting for me because, you know, covering it, that moment was very dynamic when you're talking about activism and activists rising up and doing the work of um, trying to make change. We saw that that day. Right. Mm -hmm. But then the way that it mm -hmm. sort of plays mm -hmm. out is against this, first Latina mayor in Santa Barbara, who for, 
the most part has always advocated for the uh, causes of working class people in Santa Barbara. And so it's like, how did we end up with this situation where she's being villainized? And then you've got, of course, all the usual people who aren't going to like a uh, candidate or or elected official like her, who are going to, you know, criticize her as being bad for business. Okay. Um, you know, somebody who doesn't right. want to do enough for the homeless. So she's got all those sort of built Not in for, against the homeless. <laughs> right. So, you know, she's got all of that. Can you talk a little bit about the mayor and, and like, is she, did she do a bad job? And what do you think of that moment that went down where she didn't take a knee right there in front of everybody? She did later, but not in that. Yeah. Moment. Right. Yeah, that was interesting. And I also was not there at the time. And so I experienced it more via um, comments, you know, things written on social media by some of the activists, the Black Lives Matter activists, who I adore and respect and am grateful to and inspired by. Um, And then talking to Kathy and then talking to some of them again and then um, sort of piecing it together afterwards. Um, And it is, is like a really interesting story right and and a good example of the you know why i i often say you know politics is an art and not a science and there's there's difficult nuances um but here's yeah but here's the thing uh you know the the thing that i said before about there needing to be a political project the the democratic party you know some kind of reformist politics that is willing to hold elected officials accountable is policy focused, right? And like really looks at their record so they don't get a pass just because they're a Democrat. The flip side of that, right, is it's also not about symbolic politics and, um, you know, who uh, says the most radical thing. You got to look at the record and you got to look at the whole political context and environment, right? And that's kind of what you were getting at is that, so my argument, and it, and I argued with them. I mean, I engaged with them because it's they're they're they were they're activists trying to make good change in the world, but that doesn't mean that everything that comes out of their mouth is right and true. Um, and I, you know, and I was like, look, Kathy Mario like spilled a lot of political capital, a lot of political blood in challenging the police department over her career um, politically. Um, she just got out of a fight for state a campaign for state office where it was you know the the whatever you want to call it law and order tough on crime garbage that was uh, thrown at her um was you know that was the main line of attack <coughs> and what really went down there was it about opposition to police reform or was it about some you wanted her to say a certain thing at a certain time and she didn't. And she was like next to police when you didn't want her to be and all of that. All of those are reasons maybe to be mad at her as well, but like, let's just keep them separate. And so, and, and, and I said the same thing to Kathy, like, I don't know what you were, why didn't you roll up with the police at a, like, why would I, there were a whole bunch of questions I had about what she did too, but she's a human being and she's the mayor of Santa Barbara, not the, um, you know, the general secretary of the, of NATO. And um, she's, she's going to make diplomacy mistakes and they shouldn't be the thing that is the axis of politics um, in Santa Barbara. So, but, but here, all of that said is if people have complaints about Kathy's votes or where she 
puts um you know the kind of uh, city spotlight and focus because she doesn't actually have control over city resources unilaterally you know it's not a strong mayor system so uh if people have concerns bring them and bring them to bear when kathy comes to get re get endorsements for things that's I mean, what I say to young people getting active in Santa Barbara, um, you know, is like, hey, actually, we, we spent like 20 years building some structures so you can use them to do to move the agenda you want. Um, that was what I think my generation of party activists here did starting in the um, early 2000s, you know. Um, so if they are mad at Kathy about policy, there's a whole bunch of ways to to jam her up about it and get try to push her to change or get her to get her to say things. So anyway, that to me it was like kind of framed as like the end of the world and oh this is this is we're, we're seeing into Kathy Maria's soul and I and I think it wasn't that. So uh, what about Deborah Schwartz? So let's, let's you know like to talk specific. So you've got uh, Kathy yeah. Maria who's running for re-election and I turned off my video temporarily for the Wi-Fi, but yeah. um, you got Deborah Schwartz running, you know, and she, she's over there uh, saying things like uh, we need a course correction and, and uh, she's the one to sort of come in what, and save what, things what, um, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and save things. Does that just infuriate you? I mean, here you've got Deborah Schwartz, who's, whose mother is sort of a, a legend of, of, you know, democratic politics a generation ago, you know, very well known, very prominent. Uh, she's going to run. She's going to get a lot of votes. Uh, Deborah herself is uh, definitely, um, you know, she's she's formidable. She's smart. She knows her stuff. Um, I don't think she can beat Kathy. I don't know that 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 the the city's ready to to pick her if they're going to pick somebody else over Kathy. Uh, but what does that do to you when you hear I'm running against the incumbent Democrat mayor as a party person? How do you react to that? Well. You know, yeah, like, I mean, so in this particular case, how does that make me feel? I, it, yeah. you know, I chuckled when I heard it because it just seems like just pure wanting to be mayor and like nothing more. And also I chuckled because of the conversations I had with Deborah when she was a candidate endorsed by the Democratic Party and the current mayor, uh, Helene Schneider, who never wanted to endorse Democratic candidates because having a strong party meant she didn't get to make all the decisions about who got to do everything. Um, that was a long struggle. Anyway, <laughs> you know, back in those days, Deborah was all about like, oh, the party, and this is the sacred party endorsement. You know, it came down from the heavens. You know, all of the tribes have come together for this endorsement. So she can't, you know, buck the, the, the will of the people. And then what? Uh, <laughs> now it's like, ah, we need a course correction. Screw Kathy. Um, so, and, and that's true, man. I mean, I can, because I guess they tell on themselves because often this is in writing, but just the number of politicians that I've dealt with all over the state who, you know, in an election where they have the party on their side and somebody is going against them, they're just like, you know, burn the heretic. Um, and then they'll flip. If it's good for them, they'll flip and be like, the party is a, is a closed system and I'm, I'm here to open it up by running, a, you know, anyway. Yes. Those are the frustrating the thoughts of frustration that go through my mind. But, <laughs> but, you know, when I hear that some, you know, uh, you know, in 
17 term incumbent congressperson uh, in a safe blue seat who, you know, votes uh, crappily on labor and trade and doesn't represent their constituents is being challenged by a, you know, progressive candidate of color with good ideas that wants to shake shit up. Then I'm like, hey, great. Snooze, you lose. I hope you win. Yeah. Um, but the other key, th- there is one very important, you know, nerdy difference there that's very important uh, to anybody who's like strategically partisan. And that is what is the mechanism of the actual election? Partisan primaries, the thing that Californians love to vote to destroy, they actually, you know, allow the party to hash this stuff out in, you know, and let people participate and see what happens and then go to the general election, not worried about flipping it to a Republican. But all these stupid things like top two or nonpartisan elections like we have at the local level, that those actually mean that the party has to do all these maneuvers to try to avoid that. I mean, I just I said when top two was set was was passed, I think I even said to you, maybe on the record in a for a newspaper, like, ironically, this just pushes the party into the smoky rooms. Mm-hmm. Because we have to avoid the pileup. So it's dumb. It's better to just acknowledge parties exist, let things be partisan. And and sorry, that means that I just want to be mayor or I just want to be a county supervisor doesn't cut it. It just doesn't cut it as a reason. Did the party, I mean, you've alluded to it a couple of times, so I'm just going to go there. Did the party have any problem endorsing Laura Capps for education for school board after coming after that supervisor's race uh where it caused a lot of heart it's hard to say Uh that's the kind of thing where it's like i i think it did for some individual people on the board yeah i mean it, it was hard it was a hard vote but it was i don't think it wasn't there was no discussion and it wasn't at all lopsided um and i think but I think some people, there might've been a couple of people who like abstained or didn't vote or something or whatever. But anyway, point is that um, the, that's a really good example though, of where um, for, for one thing, the party isn't like a, a brain in a jar. So it's a group of people, you know, it's people. So there were different opinions about it, yeah. but I think what you could deduce as what was the kind of average opinion was, um, and was reflected in the endorsement vote and in the campaign was we're partisan and we th- take this stuff actually seriously. There's a right wing threat happening in local government and we don't want to split the vote and, and like let a reactionary, like a Trumpist win a seat. And we care about that. Not everybody cares about that in every race and not everybody thinks that way all the time, but we have to all the time. So we can't afford to do like personal vindictiveness. And man, look, look at our history. I mean, look at all the personalities that have come through and like who's flipped around, right? Ia Falcone, Ia Falcone, right? Not my best friend for many years. Then like we were buddies and she was like for a long time, a really good supporter of all things democratic and came out for progressives that were definitely to her left, um, you know, to be partisan. And I think she really we we grew more similar in that sense over the years but you know very different kind of people and from different kind of wings of the party um you know and so it's not this don't you remember like 
how things were back then, like sort of before Pueblo and before the party got more organized. Mm-hmm. That so much shit in Santa Barbara was just about like who liked who, mm-hmm. who had supported who. Mm-hmm. Oh, that person didn't support me for dog catcher. So there's no way I'm going to support her for mayor. And like, that's, that's the, the, that is the resting point, the default of nonpartisan politics. We mm-hmm. came in and disrupted that default. Mm-hmm. And is that still there? Of course. But we, we, I mean, some of the toughest conversations I have, right, are with elected officials to get them to endorse when I was chair. <coughs> I don't have to do this anymore. Thank God. But one of the things you got to do when you're party chair is like, hey, supervisor, you really need to support our candidates for school board. And you hear the stuff, it's never, it's never ideological. If it was ideological or about policy, like people usually like, are, like don't fight about it. They're like, okay, fine, fair enough. But the objections are things like, well, that person didn't support me when I first ran for blah, blah, blah. Or that person hired that person who didn't, who ran against me. I mean, the petty shit persists. And we just have, you just have to be like, dude, it doesn't matter. Like they're the Democrat in the race, you know, or it doesn't matter. Like, like we've got labor and environment working together for these candidates. Like you can't, like, come on. It can't be about you. Let's talk. And, and everybody's done that to me. Everybody's done. All of my friends who are in politics, everybody's pulled some <laughs> garbage, bullshit, personal card of like, oh, we're just close friends. So it's, it's universal. It's a thing about politicians. Yeah. Well, uh, let, let's talk about you and let's talk about a thing about politicians because you know this. I think I frustrate you a little bit. I, I mean, I've said over the years, Draka, you're better than the candidates that you support, that you endorse. You're, you're smarter. You're more knowledgeable. You're a better communicator. You're, you're more well-researched. Like, why don't you run? I know you're an elected official, uh, but we'll get there. But why don't you run for some of these seats, you know? school board, city council, assembly, you know, when there's a million videos of you on YouTube and you're projecting to these large crowds and you're, you're a dynamic speaker, but more so you really know how to connect with an audience. And like, let's talk about you a little bit. Like, tell me why you're more comfortable as somebody who's helping to build the party, as opposed to being the guy who is out there. We know you can do it. We, I mean, we know you're capable of it. Why don't you just do it yourself? I, I don't know whether it's like uh, some kind of like Protestant, uh, you know, self, um, self doubt or self self control from my mom's side, or um, you know, or being raised on my dad's side by someone who was raised in poverty um, and came to the United States to to join and be part of a, a, a struggle for better world for everybody. You know, I was like really motivated by that. So I just, the values that I have are just not, they're about getting power for regular people. Like that's just what motivates me. So I'm more interested in building organizations and movements and institutions that make all of the elected officials better and more accountable and more uh, principled um, and getting money, uh, making money less of the issue and personal favors less of the issue and all of those things. If I, I just feel like I'm, I accomplish more if I have that impact on all of the elected officials versus just being a, an elected official who, you know, does 
better rather than worse. Um, that's not to say like I would never run for office or do that or whatever. Or And it's certainly not to say I don't appreciate the people who do. Um, I've talked a lot of shit about politicians and I always will. And all the local politicians who I work with um, and politicians I work with around the state who know me know that I like them a lot and I appreciate their work. And I'll also give them shit to their face. It's because I think there needs to be a countervailing force in American society to the kind of independent, uh, like personality driven power of politicians. Um, and so I guess there's so many things wrong in the world, Josh. I mean, there's so many things to fight. Um, there's so many things to do to change, to make things better. I guess between my own experience as an organizer and an activist uh, and my academic research, I've just kind of focused on like the thing I think I can do is use whatever abilities I have and energy I have to fix this problem in American politics, that the parties themselves are too weak and the politicians are too strong. So let's talk a little bit. You, I mean, you are Look at the other side. Sorry, just to finish that. I mean, it's not just the Democratic Party, right? I, I, I think the party being too weak on the Democratic side means we have a money-driven politics and personality-driven politics. On the Republican side, I mean, don't we all, the whole world was expecting something called the Republican Party to emerge during their primary and be like, no, like we're not a just blatantly racist, populist, lunatic party. We're some, you know, we're some other kind of lunatic party. But anyway, we we were expecting the, uh, the Republican adults to do something and it can't, they couldn't. The, the, so the problem in American politics isn't too much partisanship or too much poli too much parties. So you are the vice chair of the California Democratic Party and you are running for, for re-election. <laughs> So let, let's talk about what that role is and what it means to you and uh, what it is that you're doing on that statewide level to, to make change. Yeah, well, um, so kind of concurrently with being a local party activist and leader, I started to get involved in the state party 10, 15 years ago and um, served in different, different roles there and always um, trying to be a voice for uh, you know, that I think that razor that I talked about before that cuts both ways that it we should be a party that is a, like a normal political party that supports candidates based on principles and how they do in office will withhold that support if they go off the rails and goes out and campaigns for the candidates we've endorsed like as just a bottom line that's what we should do. And so, you know, I've tried to make alliances in the in the party with people who agree with that whether they no matter who they supported in a primary or if they identified as a progressive or a moderate. Um, that has been a treacherous strategy, I have to say personally, because the state party, like the national party, has just been so divided along, you know, Bernie, anti-Bernie or, you know, Bernie, Hillary, um, or, you know, I'm a progressive and or I'm not or or I'm a progressive too or yelling at each other. I mean, there's just these like lines and also divided between kind of people who think of themselves as grassroots and the leadership. Um, and so, and, and my politics is sort of, is very left politically um, and ideologically, but is also very pro institution, building the party institution, but building it independently from the, the, the politicians. 
So it's a tough, tough uh, sort of road to walk. Um, so like I ran for chair uh, a year ago, more than a year ago, uh, two years ago, I guess. And, uh, you know, I got walloped. Um, I thought that, you know, I could be like, oh, the some of the pragmatists in the party, they'll like me because I know how to run a party. But the left, I mean, I'm a lifelong socialist, like they know where I stand. So, uh, you know, I, uh, best of both worlds. But I was more like the man without a country. Now, uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, you're like the socialist and, you know, you're somebody who's kind of, you know, off on an island within the state party structure. Um, do you, you know, you're probably not going to believe this, but I've spent plenty of conversations to my media friends defending you <laughs> because there's, you, you can be a little bit polarizing, as you know, that's, that's an understatement, I guess. Um, you know, there are people who will say that the, the democratic party or style politics is very heavy handed. And then I'm over here on the other hand saying like, okay, have you, heard this guy talk have you heard what this guy has to say have you heard the fact that you know he's a local guy who grew up here who's back in this community wanting to give back and could be anywhere else can you talk a little bit about your um sort of like your mentors and like your your your, your teachers i know dick flax is super um influential mm -hmm. in your life uh, can you talk about your father or, or, or others who you turn to i mean obviously you mentioned that you ran and uh, you lost that's you know that's an impactful you you have to bounce back from that no matter how smart you are you mm -hmm. still feel that can you talk a little bit about how you were able to bounce back from that setback and who are your mentors yeah that's great uh so well first i would say as socialists actually feel much less isolated in the state party or like in a bubble than I ever did in my, any time in my life. I mean, that's the great thing that's happened in all the tumult of the last couple of years is that, you know, the center of gravity in the party has shifted quite a bit to the left. And, um, and I, from my perspective, that's good. And, you know, people don't, people don't bat the same number of eyelashes, I should say, at somebody being a socialist, like it's not, it's not a socialist party. Socialist politics are not the majority in the Democratic Party, despite what, you know, the QAnon people say. Um, but it's also not relegated to the, you know, the lobby the way that it was, 20, you know, 10 years ago yeah. um, for a lot of reasons, which could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> but um, no, but it's more actually this like that, that thing that people say I'm heavy handed or abrasive or whatever. I think that actually personality critique aside as a politics i think that's how i'm i've been isolated lately in the in the state party um which is that i'm actually like i i don't suffer bullshit and in santa barbara politics there was just so much of a culture of politeness to your face real sniveling kind of dishonesty of like oh if i say this thing back to you in a way that's kind of like what you said then this conversation's over i think it was really patronizing i think it was really white um and and i think in a complicated way because this community has been a pioneer of of sort of living feminism there are a lot of women in power and so forth and i think that there's like um there's like all those things about white feminism that people have noted or you know worldwide of like a kind of inability to check one's privilege mm -hmm. um that makes things complicated here um so all of those things is like you know i'm not saying every time i've said i've 
every word that's come out of my mouth is justified and I'm the best human being ever. And I'm, I'm the Buddha or whatever, but, uh, but like, honestly, one of, you want to talk about mentors, one of my, a, a person who was <laughs> technically my employee, but, and, and, a, and a sort of colleague, but was a big mentor of mine here locally was a guy named Chris Lanier who didn't live here that long, but he, um, he really made a very big impact. And one of the things that guy would remind me all the time, he was an organizer for the Democratic Party. He worked for Hannah Beth on her um, uh, Senate race um, and then eventually worked for several years for a cause um, and really helped them uh, develop their political program. But he, he would always remind me, I, I'd really internalize and people would be like, Duraka, you're, you're just, you need to learn how to talk to older women better. And you're, you're just too gruff and mean. And I'd be like, Oh, maybe that's true. And, you know, I mean, I should check myself as a man and all of that all still true. But, you know, Chris would be like, dude, th they lost a political battle and they're mad at you about that. Like, remember that, like you had a political fight over like who should be in power and over what issues we should fight for. And you guys were conflicted over the, the gang injunction. Just remember, like, even if they're uh, they're saying like, oh, you should be nice to your elders or whatever, like you had a con political conflict with your elders and you beat them and they're going to be mad about it. And so just sort of like learning how to manage the, emo the sort of emotional labor of like what kind of criticism to to take in and really take seriously and what kind of criticism is just fucking politics, right? It's just like, they lost the vote and they're mad. Um, that's a challenge I'm still dealing with, but it's been important. And so, you know, people, people like Dick Flax, um, obviously my wife, Hillary, um, uh, even folks I argue with all the time, like Doss Williams, um, who's like a good foil from kind of the politician side, uh, you know, can be really like helpful for, for keeping sane in that. Um, one thing about being a democratic party leader that's different than a lot of other kinds of things is like, you're, you're always wrong. I mean, it's always your fault. If, if elections go badly, it's the party's fault. If they go well, it's the politicians. Um, and so, you know, you're always just sort of annoying to somebody. Um, growing up here, you know, was a real blessing. I think you'd agree. It was just a really great place to grow up for people, our generation. I'm not saying it isn't now. I just know less about being a young person. Um, but you know, the, just the, the, I think a real sweet spot of size, um, you know, distance, closeness to LA, but distance from LA. Um, I found it to be quite a diverse community growing up because of where I, the part of the town I grew up in, uh, in the Ladera apartments and then over in the country club apartments so on the East side and the West side in working class neighborhoods, um, that were as racially diverse as Santa Barbara gets. And, um, so I, you know, I don't think of it as just like a playground for the most wealthy, but also like, you know, all kinds of interesting affluent people uh, of the, of the ones who are affluent, you know, artists and people, creative types from Hollywood and so forth. It's just made like a really interesting, wonderful mix. It's my hometown. Do I think it's, you know, so much better and special and important than any other town in in California, uh, no, I don't. I'm not a Santa Barbara chauvinist, um, but I like it, and I'm glad I moved back, and I'll will continue to fight to be able to live here. So I got about four minutes left. Let me ask you this: Joe Biden, uh, as we talk, uh, is is about to uh, take office. 
is the country all of a sudden better now? Um, do we have um, Trump gone, but actually his the people who believe in him are actually going to now take this country, you know, they're going to carry on with sort of what they learned from him. What's the state of the country from your, uh, your political perspective and how worried should Ooh. we be? <laughs> oh yeah. In four minutes. We, we end on a small <laughs> note. So, you know, I'm terrible at predictions is I hate doing predictions. And as you know, like, cause you're always like, Hey, handicap this race for me. And I'm like, ah, and, <laughs> and then on top of it, like, 2016 i tried to do a prediction i told everybody i mean there's all kinds of video of me being like no way donald trump wins the nomination i mean he's he's like got this little spurt going on but it, but as i just said before i was like the adults they're gonna figure it out <laughs> i was so wrong right then i was like oh you know hillary's got this come on like whatever all the criticism aside she's gonna beat trump and then she didn't so fuck i i'm out i'm just like done with the prediction game but um but the but you know better is a relative term i think the minute that that uh you know um biden gets the nuclear codes and you know starts to make appointments and make decisions the country's better it's better um but like the things that we need to fix the um, police brutality economic inequality um the lack of an, any industrial policy um, you know, continued gender inequality, all the things that we've got to really tackle as a country, the, the climate, um, like those things don't automatically get fixed or even get better because Biden gets in. There's a lot of work that will have to be done. Lastly, as you, you said, yeah, I don't think Trumpism goes away. It's still the most powerful force in the Republican Party. You know, 200 Republicans voted like with the coup. Um, so they have a, a lot of work to do to figure out if they want to rejoin the United States um, or continue to be the just like treacherous lunatic party. All right, Duraka Laramore Hall, I really appreciate your time. We got into like a third of what I wanted to talk to you about. So we're going <laughs> to have to- did I talk too much? <laughs> no, no, we're just going to have to do it again. I didn't even, I was, I was wanting you to do some media bashing and talk about oh. them, but um, I think we're, <laughs> I think we're out of time, but no, it's all, it's always a pleasure. It's nice to have this conversation with you and um, you know, let's, let's do it again soon if you're up for it. And um, thanks absolutely. A lot for, thanks a lot for taking the time. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you. Take care.